We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Today's lesson is the road to discovery. Like my new Toyota RAV4 Platinum. With the Entune Premium JBL Audio with integrated navigation and app suite, I'm always finding someplace new. Trust your heart and your feet will open a new way. Like my RAV4. It has a hands-free foot-activated power liftgate. Class dismissed. Anybody want to ride in my RAV4? Me! I mean, I humbly accept your offer. Well, come on. When you're driven by discovery, you find adventure. The 2017 RAV4 Platinum. Toyota. Let's go places. Part of what makes this podcast so special is the ability to talk to you about the things that are important to you. You can help me do that by telling me more about you. Just log on to www.mylistenerstudy.com to take a short survey about who you are, what you're listening to, and how you listen. You'll even have a chance to win a Google Chromecast. Don't worry. The survey should only take a couple of minutes. It's completely anonymous. We just want to learn a little more about you so we can make your listening experience even better. Again, that's mylistenerstudy.com. If you're feeling lucky, enter to win that Google Chromecast. Just visit mylistenerstudy.com. Thanks for your help. Welcome to the Road to Wire Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOHOOPS. As always, when you deposit on DraftKings, get that free contest entry with your first deposit today. It is Tuesday, April 5th. Nick Whalen here, as always, on Tuesdays with Roto-Wire's own DJ Trainer. 
every podcast, every radio show is going to address this first, but the national championship game last night, fill in the blank, that was the best basketball game or the best basketball ending you've seen since blank. Hmm. Is it fair to say ever? I think it's fair. I think it's fair to say ever. I think I think I think I'll say ever because you had two I mean two dramatic shots. Obviously one to win the national championship. Jay Wright's stone cold reaction bang in the corner. Um I know you want to talk about the lack of defense on the final. We'll get to that, but let's first try to contextualize just the ending of this game. Like you said, the Marcus Page shot by itself. I mean that that was unbelievable. Double Double pump off the ground, yeah, <laughs> just punching everybody. Well, I, I think he he came around that screen and he had a look, and then he paused for a second. He it looked like he had a teammate. I think it was Meeks was baseline, but they didn't really need you know they were down three. They didn't really need a two at that point. Even if Meeks puts that in, he was like one of nine on the night, having a terrible night. He, I, I think he kind of low key uh, was a lot of the reason that North Carolina lost that game. He had no control around the basket at all. Was throwing up terrible shots, but. You know, even if he puts that in, they get maybe four seconds to foul, and it probably doesn't work out. But I mean, what a shot—a double clutch to hit that. I don't know if you saw that still image that was going around. Yes. I think it was oh, a USA Today photographer. Um, I mean, Page is like four feet off the ground. At least it looks like from that vantage point, puts that in. And at that point, I thought we were going to overtime. You know, especially with the college rule that you can't advance it. Villanova calls timeout, and Jenkins passes it in to Archie Diacono. I thought Barry did a good job of picking up Archie Diacono. Nobody picks up the inbounder whatsoever Isaiah Hicks completely froze back ended up backing away as the shots going up I don't know why gets a clean look I mean it was a miraculous incredible shot but it was also a pretty routine you know given the situation not routine but a wide open routine transition three for a guy that you know is probably the best on the court at making that shot well you know why they backed off it's because in the I mean all the coaches for North Carolina in the huddle are saying, whatever you do, don't foul, don't foul, don't right. foul. Don't lose the national championship if you foul right Contest now. the shot, though. It was uncontested. There was not even – I mean, I think Meeks ended up lunging, but even at 6'10", he, I don't think he affected the shot. I mean, Jenkins gets good levitation on that. I, I don't incredible. think that they were playing – yeah, obviously incredible. I don't think that they were playing for the three-point shot at all. I think no, I don't think so either. Drive, I think they thought yeah. Archie Diacono was going, was going to take it all the way, but, I mean, 4.7 seconds, and the way they did a good job of making him switch directions kind of about three-quarters, uh, you know, I guess probably around the other three-point line, mm-hmm. they forced him. And at that point, there's, what, two and a half seconds left? I mean, if – even if you let him go, I don't know if Archie Giacono can make it to the rim and get a decent look up in that amount of time. And you know, I think what did Jenkins get it off with about point six, point eight left? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was hit at uh, at half. Uh, Xavier hit a or Xavier. Wow, Villanova hit a. They all remember a few podcasts back. They all run together for me. They do. Uh, Villanova hit a buzzer beater at half, and they used the time wisely. And I forgot who shot it, but he shot it essentially. Yeah, at the free throw line, elbow area. And so he kind of weaved his way in, and North Carolina was just kind of waiting, anticipating a very similar play. I do think part of it, you mentioned the fouling issues. This was the cleanest game, as I just spit on you in our studio here. This was the cleanest game that I had seen despite refereeing, and maybe ever. You know, I thought this was like, when the, when a game is officiated this closely, I mean, it was touch foul after touch foul, like, Neither side was happy. The fans weren't happy. It really did seem – I'm not one to believe that the refs, you know, try to control games, but this is one of those games where it was just, come on. You know, everything was being called. So I think maybe that is in the back of their minds. You're trying not to foul, uh, especially with how tightly everything had been called. So, you know, I mean, both teams were in the bonus for, I think, the last 12 or 13 minutes. That that certainly – that seemed to benefit North Carolina, I thought, down the stretch. There were a couple plays. Justin Jackson found himself at the line a few times. 
uh, Kennedy Meeks, Bryce Johnson, just, you know, touch fouls on rebounds that, you know, you're usually taking it out on the baseline or on the sideline. Instead, you're getting free points with no time coming off the clock. Yeah, most definitely. Great game all around. Officiating, sure. But you know what? Both teams had a legitimate chance to win it in the final minute. And it was a good game. Really excited that after two duds in the final four that we got a, a good championship game. One that we'll remember forever. And one thing, you know, we, we were talking about like all the, uh, you know, like Leitner shot. We've seen all these replays, but we were too, were too young to have watched them. And pretty fun to know that that's going to live in infamy for the rest of our lives. And we can say, uh, yeah, I was there for both of those shots. It's a pretty good game. Right, when we got close in, what was it, 08 or 09 with Gordon Hayward rimming out on yeah. what would have been, uh, would that have been a tire win against Duke? I think it would have been a win, uh, you know, when one of the years that Butler was there. But, yeah, I mean, it, it happened so quickly to me. It was kind of surreal, you know, like you're still recovering and they're showing the replay. It's one of those replays where, you know, all you see as a TV viewer is, uh, you know, the shot, the replaying Marcus Page hitting that shot but they're also playing it on the Jumbotron in Houston. So you get the crowd reaction. Like they played it for like the fifth time and the crowd is still, you still hear the huge like, oh my God, you know? And at that point it's like, all right, they're going to overtime. North Carolina, storm back. You know, there's no way Villanova can pull this out. And then, you know, 4.7 seconds, doesn't matter. It's just over just like that. And Jay Wright's reaction, obviously, I think kind of outside of the crying Jordan memes kind of stole the the internet show. But that was pretty cool, right? Like I like to think of like if I'm coaching this team, I would want to have Jay Wright's reaction as opposed to what's his name uh, Hunter from from Georgia State. Like, I don't want to be falling <laughs> off. I, like if it's between like freak out and possibly tear your Achilles or just remain super calm, I think I would pick that. I think that's a cool reaction. Yeah. So I mean, they've included the you know what, what's his name Jerry or I guess it would be uh, Georgia State's coach. What's his name? Again? Ron Hunter. Yeah, Ron Hunter. That's been included in the package, as, as you know, like when we're talking about NCAA tournament, him falling off. I just want to know, are we going to have Jay Wright just like, are we going to cut to him just going bang on like a super like emotional? I don't know if we're going to see that. So while I do agree it was like the most badass way to celebrate a national championship, I'm not sure that that specific moment will live, live in infamy. Do you think he wasn't surprised? Because obviously it looked like he you know wasn't surprised. Like this is what was going to happen. Or do you like... Because it was executed so flawlessly, you know, and it's not like they ran some trick play. It was just a, I think he saw as soon as Jenkins passed it in, you know, as a coach, you see this stuff. He saw nobody's picking this guy up. Like, this is going to work perfectly. And we talked about, you know, North Carolina maybe thinking Archie Diacono was going to try to take it all the way. There was never any intent. I mean, it was very clear all along. It was going to get in as far as he could. He did a perfect job of drawing the defense and then just basically handing it right to Jenkins. And I I think Jay Wright probably saw that coming. I think Wright was, when he's saying bang, it wasn't necessary. like he's going to say whatever he wants. I think he did say after the game, like I knew he'd make it or something like that. I think that he was saying bang more so that the play he drew up worked. And so regardless of whether or not it went in, he like bang, like like perfectly executed. Right. You know, like and I don't it wasn't think it going to be a surprise either way. Almost, you know, it's like whatever. I know what's going to happen. He's either going to make the shot or miss the shot. Yeah, I think I think him saying bang was the result of him being happily happy and pleased that the the play he drew up worked perfectly. Now whether the shot that went in or whatnot, I mean, he said bang, and then he watched it go in. So you can say what you want, mm-hmm. but I, I think it was more so that the play worked perfectly. Like you said, there was nobody there to contest the three whatsoever, and so. Whatever, we can get into that, whatever you want. But uh, the Gerard and Hayward shot, full quarter, three-quarter shot, uh, would have won it. They would have won by one point. And that would have been something. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Um, but, yeah, great game all around. I have to say, you know, I was I was working during the game, and I was working with some interns here in the office, and I was just talking about how I was really just unenthused by either of these two teams. 
Um, just, you know, if Buddy Heald would have been in it, it would have been a little more exciting. Syracuse, not there, not very enthused by them either. We didn't have that Cinderella story or that great story that, you know, like the, you know, the nation can get around and, you know, us being Wisconsin alums, sure we're conceited, but they were a pretty fun story to follow throughout the year. And then we had the Kentucky thing going into it and there just seemed like to be a bigger, bigger outside stories. Right. Um, luckily we came away with one of the best basketball games ever um but I, I will say going into it i wasn't enthused that much no i mean i, th- I think this was somewhat of a down a down year and, and a down ncaa tournament i think for college basketball especially after last year i mean you had the duke team last year is probably better than any team in the country this year that i think there's probably we, i think we might have mentioned this on the last part there are probably three or four teams last year that that i think win the title this year including wisconsin and kentucky okay. yep. um and you had of course the mystique of that undefeated kentucky team coming in and that Wisconsin team, I don't, I don't think we're biased to say that was a, a team that the country kind of, I don't know if I would say rallied around, but at least identified with. You know, you had every round it was you know a new press conference or Frank Kaminsky dancing. You know, there were some characters with, the, with the teams in the Final Four this year outside of Buddy Heald. I don't think you had like Syracuse. I mean, like, who can the casual fan name on Syracuse? Like Trevor Cooney, who they probably think is like a reincarnation of Jerry McNamara yeah. and and Eric Devendorf. <laughs> um you know north carolina it, they're north carolina but this what we like we mentioned last week yep. this isn't the, your typical north carolina team they're not sending four guys to the first round like they did in 05 and 09 so it's just it, i don't know it was a little bit different to me uh but i'm glad for what was kind of a you know villanova came into this game i think averaging they were beating their opponents by like 24 points per game in the tournament north carolina by like 16 or 17 uh, you know for those two teams for it not to be a blowout and not that anybody expected that but for those two teams to kind of make up for what was a pretty lackluster Saturday night, I think was awesome. Yeah, most definitely. Vegas had the game set at 150, ended up 151 over under. So pretty Vegas knows, man. Day. Yeah, Vegas always knows. Speaking of draft picks, Nick, um, back in January 12th of this year, we did a rookie redraft. Um, and we've been teasing it and saying we we're going to redo on again before the season ends. Everybody's been clamoring for Everybody's it. Everybody's been clamoring for this. Uh, so why don't we do a rookie redraft? Um, we already wrote them out. We have what we had on, obviously, what actually happened. We have what we had on January 12th, and now we – it looks like things have changed a little bit for both of us since January 12th, so I'm excited to get into it. Um, first overall pick, we both have Towns. Still the consensus. Nothing too crazy here. No. I uh, did not even consider anyone else. So good job, Minnesota. Looks like you made a good pick. Yeah, absolutely. Number two. We differ here. Um, when we did this initially, what was it, back in January, I had Porzingis at two. I still have Porzingis at two. He's going to get Rookie of the Year votes. Um, you know, somebody's going to do it. And we're lucky that we actually have transparency in the voting now. So that'll be interesting to see. But I don't think – I think it, they're a clear one-two to me. But I know you, you think differently. Right. So back when we did this in January, I was more looking at the team dynamic and what each team needed specifically. And I know you were just ranking essentially your top rookies this year. I've taken your, your train of thought and I'm just ranking the top rookies and assuming that, you know, um, GMs would do like they always say and say, take the best available player off the board. So, uh, in January, well, obviously Russell went second overall to the Lakers, in January, I still thought he should go second overall because of Byron Scott's ineptitude um, to coach a team and the Kobe Bryant saga. And you can still say that to a certain point. But I'm actually going to go Devin Booker here for my rookie redraft in, in April just because 
he's out there proving that he can score. I mean, he's 19 years old, youngest player in the NBA, barring, you know, whatever free agents have come over the last couple of weeks that you've never heard of, like Xavier Mumford and whatnot. But I know Porzingis is good, and he's going to stretch the court, and he's going to be very good down the stretch. But, I mean, Booker can be the face of your franchise. I know Porzingis can be said the same too, but night in, night out with a lackluster roster, Booker is out there scoring the basketball. And while I'm waiting for him to have rookie bumps, and he has had them, especially as a 19-year-old, I mean, if you look at his game log over the last month and a half, he is putting up Is points. he, though? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate here. Post-All-Star break, Devin Booker is shooting 39% from the field. He's shooting 29% from three. His offensive rating is 100, and his defensive rating is 115. Everything but the defensive rating is worse since the break. And he's minus 12.3 box box score plus minus per game. Well, efficiently or efficiency, he's down, right? So that's what you just said. But in terms of raw production, he's up. And you know that points per game is up, but he's also playing 13 more minutes per game. So not necessarily. I mean, his usage is up a little bit. It's because this team has faded out of existence. And so before the season, he was being kind of egged on. He had Eric Bledsoe in the lineup. He had Brandon Knight in the lineup for portions. I mean, if we look at his first, I don't know, first uh, 26 games of the season, he's only seeing 14 minutes. Yeah, but I mean, he doesn't even get to this point where we're talking about him if those guys don't go down. I think I love Devin Booker. He's he's number three for me. or Not number three. He's my number four. I'm not trying to take anything away from him necessarily, but I think to put him ahead of Porzingis, I think he's been, Booker's had a couple peaks that have kind of rocketed him onto the national stage, but I mean, he really hasn't been all that great. You think so? The 28% from three, 29% from three since the break, like that's that's not ideal from a guy who's like supposed to be, you know, a Clay Thompson type of shooter. But being 19 years old, having not really that great of teammates around him doesn't do anything for you in terms of when we talk about potential. See, I I get caught up in, you know, what we can look to in the past and say it's, it's proven. And so Porzingis for me, yeah, he's still really good, but there's still some unknowns to me. Like, can he compete in a full 82-game season? For Booker, I'm seeing it right now. I'm seeing at least the bottom end of what he's going to be for the rest of his career, and I like this. If this is going to be the bottom end of what we can expect for another 15 seasons, then that's why I think he should be the two overall pick now in our sure. in our redraft. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think he's – He's probably like the biggest difference between where he's drafted and how good he actually is, but I think to me he's still he's still a pretty fair margin behind Porzingis. And I guess it depends on the criteria. We didn't we didn't really define it too rigidly, you know. If it's if it's who do you want to start a team, I think you'd probably say Porzingis because of that size and versatility. You know, do you want to build a team around a, sh- a shoot first shooting guard? Like probably not. Um, but you know, like I said, in terms of like pure production, he has been more productive than Porzingis. Yeah, and that I think I put a lot of impetus on that and less on potential at this point in the year when we're looking at their first seasons. Sure. Uh, so number three, then, is where I have Porzingis. That's exactly where I had him previously in January. Number three, you have Russell. I do. I, I still think I think Russell, you know, before all this Iggy stuff and swaggy stuff, I think he was playing well. I think it's gonna people are going to forget that now. That He just needs to get the season over with, get to the offseason, just kind of stay out of the light for a little bit, and I think he'll do that, and this will blow over. It already has, really, right? Like, nobody's talked about it since, like, Thursday. Yeah. Have I don't, even I don't really, think so. I don't even really want to talk about it I don't want to talk much. about it either. I'm just saying, like, it, we, you know, it's this huge deal, and how is he going to recover from this? Are they going to have to trade him? And, like, now it's it's not a big deal. They're not going to boo him at home to start next season, I hope. I don't. Will they? <laughs> they better not. Um, but I, I I think his upside is still as a point guard a little bit higher than Booker's. Those two can be flip flopped at three four for me. 
Um, I, you have Russell at four, right? So we don't differ too much on that. No, I yeah, and so I, I've said at numerous points throughout the season, I think Russell still has the same potential that he's ever had, even on draft night. And you know, I still think that right now. But I think that uh, so if we're playing a video game, what is his potential rating on like a report card scale? You know, yeah. Uh, For me, it's like an A minus. Oh, that's what okay. Or like a B plus A minus, like like a like a eighty nine percent. I'll say A minus. I mean. There's so many factors going into this. Like, at least with Emmanuel Moutier, who is still firmly within our top 10 and we're going to talk about, like, you kind of know what he needs to work on. With Russell, you've had the area where you know he needs to work on shooting, making better, smarter passes. But then there's also, you know, like, maybe he would have figured this out if he would have seen consistent minutes over the course of the season. Right. The Scott maybe factor kind of elevates the Scott him factor, a bit. And the Kobe Bryant factor, too. Yes. I mean, people want to see Kobe shoot. That's what... Kobe wants to do it too and you and yes, just like does. it's not a normal team dynamic it just doesn't make sense and so you really I don't want to say call it a throwaway season but it's been a rough season of trying to become an NBA player for D'Angelo Russell yeah I agree he's been put in a really tough situation and I think has actually played pretty well considering the factors you know when given an opportunity when he's not being literally hounded by the coach every single day and you know, I, I think publicly too. That's right. the crazy That's thing the, is that he well, right. just we only see the public his, stuff. Like, yeah, you gotta, you can't even imagine. I, I would, I would think what's going on in those practices, especially probably early in the year when Kobe, you know, hadn't maybe yet accepted the fate of this team. And yeah, I, I think, I think if he were in a more functional situation, you know, his rookie year would be looked looked on with a lot more light. At five, I'm going Miles Turner. This is someone I, I don't even think I included him back in January, Neither which, of us which. Did is an oversight admittedly no it wasn't um, he he was hurt he hadn't played yeah i mean he had the he had a wide open opportunity to play over jordan hill over yamahimi he didn't take it and so yeah. I, I don't think it was crazy back then but that's why we're redoing this right but, i mean he's another guy as i look up the the numbers like he was playing better before the break somehow and like think that's Dude, get over those numbers you're really putting a lot of well focus i mean on what, what else are we supposed to look at i don't watch a ton of pacers games i mean his, his usage rate is basically the same and his offensive rating is down 14 points that's like that's huge that's insane 94 I mean I love Miles Turner he's up he's up at number five for a reason I, I just I'm surprised to look at these pre and post stats you know we Booker and Turner we like we think of his guys who've just turned it on you know since January but like I think it's a little overblown on the whole I think we focus maybe too much on on their good games and don't look at some of you know they'll go two three games in a row without doing much yeah, I suppose. And we need to preface again in terms of fantasy. Like I, when I talk about the baseline for Booker, it's amazing. When I talk about yeah. the baseline for Turner, it's amazing. Now what that actually does and translates on the court in terms of winning games is a different story. And I think we're trying to kind of, you know, walk a tightrope here between the both. And that's why I agree with you that if you're starting your team, you're going to do it with Porzingis. You're not going to do it with like a shoot first Booker type of guy. So, um, I guess that I, I I don't know it, it's tough I think that the longer these rookies are on the court they're more the more they're going to get exposed in terms of efficiency and so while they were kind of like coddled at the first 40 games of the season we're not seeing that anymore um, and so that's what the impetus I would put on those specific numbers but that doesn't really deter me away from thinking that they've made strides in the second half of the season yeah I think that's all fair um, Turner to me is ahead of Okafor just because he's he's already like a 45 time better defender, he can spread the floor. I mean, he's only taken I think like 14 threes on the year, so that part of his game is maybe a little overblown. He hit a couple big ones. I think was it against OKC? Like right after the break, he had a big three, and everybody's like, "Oh, this guy can shoot," which he can, but he just you know hasn't really done it 
uh, all that consistently yet. But I mean, the fact that he that is starting, you know, a center who turned 20 years old 12 days ago as as three three made threes on the year, like to me, that's a victory. You know, he doesn't have to he doesn't have to make a hundred of them as a rookie. I think the fact that 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 confidence is already somewhat there and the mechanics are already there is huge because he's still so early in his development. Yeah, it's tough here. I understand the free fall that you have on Okafer, and I actually initially did that as well. So for five for me, I'm going to keep on with Okafer where you have Turner. Now, I'm willing to admit that you know that could be different. We're just, I don't know. I, I think that the kind of like unceremonious end to Okafer's rookie season isn't hurting or is hurting him quite a bit here um, where we're not seeing him play. Obviously him having a terrible defensive rating efficiency doesn't help either, but I mean, this guy can still score on anybody in the league down low in the post. And you know, that's going to, that's going to be valuable at some point in his career when he's playing on a championship contending team or a playoff type of team. Right. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be the Sixers, but you know, if they need a basket at a crucial time in the game, you go to Okafer, he can score on anybody. And so I think that he still has a lot of value in this league. At some point, he'll be put on a team where maybe his defense, defensive inefficiencies will be will be hidden somehow. And if that's the case, then I think he's just going to be you know really close, a, a top five pick from this draft, most definitely over, over Turner, perhaps. So that's why I'm going to go with Okafer over Turner right now, still, just because I I know Okafer is good. I know he's going to have a career in the NBA. Turner is. I don't want to call him a flash in the pan, but you know we're still waiting on a lot of things for Turner. Yeah, I mean, Okafor is certainly much more developed on the offensive end, but you kind of hinted at it. If you're going to go forth with Okafor as one of your like three best players, you need to form the team around him. Even if he's your third best player, you have to make sure that not only your top two players work with him, but also your four through seven players work with him. Or you, know, or you end up in a Greg Monroe situation where his numbers are good you know even even his ratings like aren't that bad but you just there's just a disconnect there you know like you have to build you have to insulate Okafor with players that mask his deficiencies which is a problem and here's the tough part for me like like if you're thinking of an ideal player Nerlens Noel is going to be that guy and why it hasn't worked out yet I'm not sure if it's just because Philadelphia 76ers on the whole are so bad or if Okafor truly is going to be this much of a negative on defense and so because I mean, who else? I think like, he is. Like Ibaka. Ibaka's the better guy because he can shoot. shoot. Like he's better than Noel as uh, as that guy to me. But that, those right. are so rare. Like the rim protector slash corner three point shooter is just like not really a thing. Like Ibaka is essentially the only one, right? And like Bosch somewhat, but he's not really the the Ibaka rim protector. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Noel's range is getting getting better, and he's still young, but. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's like three players in the league that you can sure. think like, oh, maybe that guy fits with him. And but you know, to be fair, they have one of them, you know, in Noel, and it didn't work all that well. But I'm, you know, in the way that the Sixers are constructed, like it's pretty hard to look at that as like a legitimate, you know, sample. So number six, you're going with Winslow. I am number six. I have Winslow as well. Okay. The, yeah. So the only important part here to notice is that I haven't used up Turner yet. And you have not used up your Okafer yet. So you're going right. Winslow Okafer with six seven. For me, I'm going Winslow Moutier. But let's talk about Winslow a little bit because in terms of offense, we haven't really seen much going on not there good. whatsoever. Not good. But you look at his time on the court, and he's spending a lot of valuable time on the court for this right. Miami team who's firmly within the playoffs. And you know, he's a major reason why. Twenty eight minutes per game as a rookie that can't shoot the ball whatsoever. I mean that one that says that you know maybe you're not that deep if you're Miami and that's probably true but two he's got to be doing a lot of things right to get on the court 
for a guy like Spolster too. I mean, this isn't a coach who's just out there to to throw rookies out and see what happens. I mean, this is a, a team that's stocked with veterans that I'd like to think that if, if Winslow wasn't playing well, like Wade, Bosch, when he was healthy, Drogic, like they wouldn't they wouldn't let him be on the court, you know? And I think the fact that he's still playing close to 30 minutes a game, even though he's shooting 26% from three and has only taken, you know, 100 threes on the year, you know, basically can't score unless it's within 10 feet, that says a lot to me. And I think I saw enough of him offensively at Duke, certainly in the national championship game last year, to make me think that that can come eventually. And I think he's already so valuable as a defender that that keeps him, you know, for me ahead of, of Okafor and, and even ahead of Moutier and, you know, guys like Stanley Johnson. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, and you would think that the injury to Chris Bosch, um, which has moved Luol Deng down to power forward, you might immediately say, well, that's why Winslow's playing so much is because he's, Partially, he's fitting yeah. into the, and you could say that, but I mean, look at the beginning of the course of this season. I mean, he's hitting the 30 point benchmark within, uh, his third game of the season, or his third ever NBA game, he played 31 minutes. His fifth game, he played 36, and it went on from there. So at, at no point did you think that, um, you know, this guy's just filling in because of injury reasons or something like that. And it says a lot to me because I actually thought, you know, in terms of fantasy, I was looking at Gerald Green um, as somebody who I thought, you know, like Wade is going to break down, Dan could break down, and Winslow just might not be ready yet, and Gerald Green could could step into a lot of minutes, um, even as an offensive option um, on a team, you know, that that's pretty old. It's pretty old. But that hasn't happened whatsoever. Winslow is – right now you have to classify him as it doesn't matter how many minutes he sees on the court, he's just not going to produce that much for you. But – it bears mentioning Jimmy Butler was like this the first two seasons of his career and then he kind of stepped into a more prominent offensive role and you think that the departure or you know the retirement of Dwayne Wade um, Joe Johnson's not going to be there forever Lou Aldang's not going to be there forever that Spolster is going to slowly but surely work on Winslow's offensive game and he's going to be the man both defensively and offensively within the next three to four or five years yeah I think I think that you know ideally and you know this is pretty unattainable I think on the whole but ideally he's kind of following that Kawhi Leonard development track where it's you know you have some responsibility as a rookie you know we're not just going to sit you on the bench uh, but you know you have to prove you can defend first you have to prove you can hit catch and shoot shots before we start entrusting you with anything and again I I mean I'm not saying he's going to have a Kawhi Leonard type of ascent but I think they saw that model work for San Antonio and I, I don't see why you know they're in a they're not really in a position where they're any better with him doing anything offensively you know like Wade is still effective enough to keep this team you know top six in the east and when Bosch is healthy they you know they need even less offense outside of Wade so I think I think it's working out pretty well because like you said once Wade moves on I think they can kind of seamlessly fit Winslow right into that shooting guard spot and who better to learn behind you know for three or four years than Dwayne Wade yeah most definitely so at so we kind of agree on Winslow. We're not really let's see, where did he go originally? We have him at You at ten. Yeah, he went ten. So we both have him higher up, even though he hasn't shown us much offensive game. Um you'll notice that, that I mean he never should have gone ten. Like that that was just dumb. That was just really dumb. Yeah, there was a lot of team I mean the fact that he went over Stanley Johnson, which are two comparable players, and he still went after I still remember our our former NBA editor at the time, Kyle McCune, huge Pistons fan. We he texted me right away, "We're getting justice," and I was like, "I can't believe this. This is crazy. This is a steal of the draft." And you know, a minute later, there goes Stanley Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Which hasn't been a disaster, but no, still. But I, I mean, I would, they're the exact pick. same type of players. 
I guess. I mean, J- Johnson's probably better offensively. I, I just think As of, that at the yeah. time, that was just a weird pick. Yeah, at the time, I agree. So six, we both went Winslow. Seven, you're, you're slotting in Okafer. Now, yep. previously in January, you went Bobby Portis here. Yeah. Seven for me, I'm going Moutier. Previously, I went campaign. So it looks like we both made a little bit of a, a mess Payne, as soon as they got Randy Foy, he's just been out. Like He's just right. not in the rotation. Yeah. And that, that tells me a little bit. I mean, probably I don't think he's in the doghouse or anything. I think it's just... You know, getting gearing up toward the playoffs. You got Randy Foy for a reason. Go veteran. Um, but yeah, Okafor, we already talked about him. He's at seven for me. Moutier at eight. I I like Moutier a lot. Like I wanted to find space for him higher than this. I I mean, he's. I just read actually this month he's averaging something like fifteen four and four, which isn't ideal. But he's you know he's not turning it over quite as much. He's shooting forty percent from three on the month, which is probably the biggest thing. Um, I don't know. He he was coming off that injury before the draft, and he was hurt you know for a couple of weeks or you know right in the middle of the season I, it's been a weird year for Denver I'm I think he's been as advertised right I mean he hasn't been great he's certainly I mean the John Wall comparisons were there as a rookie or you know at the beginning of the draft and that certainly hasn't been the case but he hasn't been terrible he, he hasn't been great he, I think I give his rookie season like a solid B B minus yeah I'm, I'm right there with you on the B grade because he started out the year turning the ball over quite a bit and that's to be expected for right. somebody who's playing 38 minutes in his first ever NBA game gets you 11 turnovers. I mean, you're throwing him to the fire, and this is certainly one strategy that a team like the Nuggets has no choice but to deploy. You know, they're, yeah, I'm fine with the person in this situation. Yeah. I mean, why not? What and, else do you have going on? Right. And so if you're looking at points, he's getting you some solid points down the stretch here. Rebounds, pretty good considering he's a point guard. Um, what is he averaging? I mean, he's good averaging size. 3.4. Yeah, good and size. And that's with like them having like four centers that are seemingly always on the court too. yeah like he's not and, he's not in Ken a position Fareed to just playing, grab rebounds all the yeah. time Kenneth yeah. Reed playing power forward mm-hmm. um and so you look at his assist numbers 5.5 for a rookie um I mean that's that's pretty solid for a rookie who's who's basically his head has been underwater so. all season long if I mean he's the guy I want to look at if you're going to pull um pre-all-star break versus post-all-star break I mean he's the one that I think is probably I would think, based on the eye test, has made the most improvement. I could be wrong, but, I mean, he's exactly where we thought he would be. Um, and in, a, in another couple of years, he could be one of the best young point guards in the league. I wouldn't be surprised one bit. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think I haven't been super impressed. I haven't been super disappointed, and I think that's fine, given what's happened in his rookie year. Uh, he actually has been worse. Uh, that sounds like worse, every, worse, find a player Basically, that's worse across the board, and usage, and efficiency, and counting stats um yeah oh no i'm sorry <laughs> no i'm sorry uh he's actually he's actually been uh better across the board and anything i was looking at home versus road um uh, okay. and then you know that's the category on basketball reference that is right above pre versus post so no post all-star game he's been scoring three more points per game in in identical minutes uh one fewer assists per game half rebound better usage rate has been almost identical but offensive rating is up 12 points his offensive rating before the break was 82. Mm. That, without looking, that has to be like bottom five among right. among players who actually play. Yeah, and that's that's what it is. So, I mean, now me and probably everyone listening to this is, did you make the same mistake on the other players we talked about? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay, okay, no, fair enough. I would never. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I mean, how much is it that he plays in Denver? We really haven't been watching much of Denver this year. 
you know, making us indifferent and not having strong feelings about him, thinking that he's, you know, right where he should be. You know, why isn't he vaulting up over Russell? He's played way more minutes. He's, you know, had more time to mature, had more experience. I mean, you can argue. I mean, you don't even have to argue. His numbers are probably better than Russell's. Um, efficiency, yeah. no. It, I mean, I, but think Robert, been, I think Russell's been quite a bit better. Right. So, I mean, the fact that he plays in Denver, how much does that play into that we're just kind of leaving him right where we had him in January? In in that they're just not a big market team, or what do you mean? Well, like if he played in New York or something like that, and that we were forced to watch his games. Oh, right. Do you think that we would feel strongly one yeah. way or another about him? I think we would. I think yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I watched a couple of Nuggets games. You know, mostly tuning in when they're playing, you know, Cleveland or OKC or mm-hmm. uh, you know that game where they pushed OKC or uh, Golden State. You know, I think I watched the second half of that. But that's been about it. So that's a good point. I mean, a lot of people haven't seen a ton of him, and that could go either way, though. You know, you see him a lot. You catch a couple of games where he plays poorly, maybe that influences you. You catch a couple of games where he plays well, it could go the other way. Only 20 years old. Just turned 20 during He's the season. Youngin, so yeah. there's a lot to like there. Number nine, I have Stanley Johnson. Um, that's who I went with back in January. You have Miles Turner. I have Stanley Johnson. We skipped over my eight pick. I have, I have Turner, oh, Turner, Turner at, eight. at eight. I'm sorry. We both have Stanley Johnson at nine. Um, like you kind of mentioned better offensive year off coming off the bench than Winslow defense probably relatable you got to give the edge to Winslow you would think although Johnson is should be you would hope be a pretty good defender luckily they have KCP on that team who basically discards the best player on the court opposing player that is uh I I, my pulse on him is pretty much the same as it was in January when we did this the first time yeah I don't have much to say about him he's another guy you know played well Hasn't had to do too much for that team. So, you know, got to wonder if Jody Meeks was healthy, if maybe he sees fewer minutes. But I think it's probably been better for for him, at least long term, to, to get that. You know, he's playing, what, 25 minutes most nights, 20, 25. Um, at 10, we both have Willie Cauley-Stein. This is not anything I ever expected. I thought he would be a complete disaster, to be honest. And he was one of my favorite players in college. And I, I'm really glad he's turned out like he has. I thought, you know, guy who has little to no offensive game, who is kind of able to exploit his length and athleticism at the college level. I, I kind of wondered, you know, I mean, he's a crazy athlete, but he, by NBA standards, he's just like a, he's just a really good athlete. And there are a lot of guys who are that athletic, you know? So I'm, I'm surprised at how well that's translated. Um, looking at, he's another guy will look pre post break about the same production wise. Um, you know, not too much has changed there at all. Usage is up a little bit. Glad to see him kind of, at least over these last couple of weeks with them resting guys, you know, he's able to, to kind of show a little bit more. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, we, we, if we were bashing anybody, it was really Kali Stein the beginning of the year, middle of the year. Now we're taking a look at it. I mean, 21 point performance, 26 point performance just a, a week ago um, against Dallas and Phoenix respectively. And if I'm being completely honest, I would have guessed that he would go his whole career without ever reaching the 20-point benchmark. He's already done it a couple times in his rookie season. He's already showing a little bit more to me offensively than I ever thought was capable. So the fact that he's a rookie, the fact that he's playing pseudo behind DeMarcus Cousins, and you know, if, if the ball is ever going to be thrown down low, it's going to be to Cousins. Yeah, I mean, Nine I don't think I don't think you want it to call his Stein no matter what. It's not like he doesn't have the chance. I just think you wouldn't. You know, I mean, like he has no moves. His, his he scored all of his points in college basically off of offensive rebounds, cuts, alley oops, things like that. Um, and that's you know that's kind of the player he is, and that's a little bit why I question taking him this high. It's like 
you know, unless you're crazy, crazy good at doing this kind of stuff, which maybe he will be in the long term, number six overall for a guy who like at best to me is like your fourth or fifth offensive option. Who's an energy guy. Like, you know, I, I would rather kind of chance it on a higher upside guy like Moutier or, you know, Stanley Johnson or Winslow at that spot. All you know, spots you can they find those guys. definitely right. I mean, they needed shooting guard. Their shooting guard spot has been terrible this year. It's been terrible the since, dra- like, 2005, basically, right? Like, Yeah. I mean, who, they just keep Ben McLemore. No. Stauskas. No. Jimmer. No. Like, they just keep whiffing on, on the shooting guard spot. But maybe this is the year. <laughs> we'll see. Jamal Murray. We'll, we'll find out, I Good suppose. Player. But, it, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Stanley Johnson, Justice Winslow. I mean, we can go on. Devin Booker. I mean, how awesome would Devin Booker be on this team that likes to run and gun? Yeah. Yeah, Booker would be a great fit. And basically they that's Booker is what they thought they were getting, I think, in Macklemore. Sure. Who and to I be think, fair, like that was the right pick for them. I mean Macklemore was a potential number one overall guy that draft and you know, thankfully they didn't get Anthony Bennett, I guess. Um but they'll have some options. I mean, like Buddy Heald is interesting. Uh for his sake. I hope he doesn't have to go to Sacramento. <laughs> like, God, that'd be awful. But you know, even a guy like Jalen Brown, kind of a an an atypical type of guy that could play at the two, even though he's probably more of a three um you know of course murray i think murray's maybe the most intriguing fit but we'll see if sacramento lands we'll high enough if, in the lottery and if they retain rondo it's i mean he's on that one right. one year contract and I, so well cousin wants him back yeah cousin wants him back and gosh I the love question that is if so they much. don't bring him back like who signs rondo the knicks does anybody else even want him the lakers the nets. oh nets rondo at the nets yes I mean, somebody's going to sign him, somebody. right? So who goes? Who gets? Who gets picked up first in free agency? Brandon Jennings or, Ray, or Rondo? Because I mean, usually you have your top players fall, and then everyone falls into place. Essentially, who do you think is going to be more highly sought after? Well, it depends. I think it because be. like you have to take into account what you're signing them for. You know, like Jennings could sign anywhere as a backup. Like every almost any team would want him as like your second point guard, right? Oh, of course. Almost. Not every team. But you know, twenty teams would probably line up to grab him at five mil a year for three years or something. Oh no, he's gonna get more than that by by the Nets or someone off of a torn Achilles, so I don't know. I mean if it depends what they want him for. You know, like what does he sign for now? It can't be that much. Yeah, but I mean a team like the Nets would love to have him play thirty four minutes a night at a point guard for them. I mean who else would they though? They're not trying to lose. <laughs> they can't lose. Like they have nothing. They're they have no incentive. To, they have Larkin, no incentive Donald to Sloan. lose, though. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think they would want him. I just don't think there are teams that are being lining up to offer Brandon Jennings their starting point guard job. All right. Fair Especially enough. teams that don't have picks. So essentially, you said Rondo. You think he'll get signed first? I think so because somebody. There are going to be teams that will like want Rondo and target Rondo. Whereas Jennings, I think you know, if, if we're talking about it like a race to sign someone, like I don't think the interest is going to be as like substantial with Jennings well yeah when I say race I don't necessarily mean race but you know I mean your your top free agents usually get signed first you know what I mean like if whoever's a free agent that you know coming up is going to get signed and then your lesser players tend to fall in line after that once teams kind of sort out um, where the chips are falling and so when I say uh, you know who's going to get signed first essentially what I mean is you know who's going to be more highly sought after who do who do the, who does the league yes. in general value more brandon jennings in general probably jennings i think there'll be there's like peaks with rondo like two teams will love rondo 28 teams will hate rondo whereas 25 teams will be lukewarm on jennings like overall probably jennings i guess i mean there there are other guys out there too that'll that'll be up for grabs as well um you have a couple questions here that i like quite a bit about this draft so um you know we're just about completed with this first uh season for these rookies 
You want to know, am I ready to declare, to declare, I should say, anyone from this draft as a bust? And then you think well, that Rashad Well, well Bond, real quick, no, ask, ask, answer that question in general first. Because as a bust, no, because I think you have to be a lottery pick to be a bust, and none of these none of these lottery picks look like surefire busts to me right now. Okay, Hazonia hasn't done enough. Yeah, it's not fair. I mean, he was probably overdrafted, but then again, he's just not seeing enough time on the court right. for us to make a decision one way or another. So he kind of gets a pass on this season, yep. if you will. I think the other guy you look at is like Frank Kowalski, who my friend still refers to him as Kowalski through the Final Four run last year. I thought wow. that was a real name. I, it's been tough for me to to get over, and you know, obviously, I still think of him as that. I think he's been the other guy. He's been disappointing, but he hasn't been a bust. There, he's just not seeing that many minutes right yeah. now. He's seeing like you don't want to just throw that word around. A few games. Payne, you, know, you start getting into the fourteen range. Payne was playing well before the Foy stuff. Well, it's uh, weird that he edged out DJ Augustine for backup minutes right. behind like, Waiters, and then you bring in. It's like is Foy better than DJ Augustine? Apparently, no. I don't know. According uh, to Oklahoma City, Ubre played all right he's, you know, been, for, okay. he's been okay yeah. rosier just haven't seen enough rashad vaughn has been bad he's been real bad he's but, the only player in like the first like, round ish that that you can look at his stats and say well man milwaukee would have really enjoyed what we thought he was going to be and he hasn't given them that well like, he's had the inside edge to be a deep threat for them and that's exactly what they've needed. Right. Well, that's the thing is he. There has been opportunity. Like there's been injuries, and he's been bad. He was bad enough that he was in the D League last week. Right. Like that's a problem. And to be fair, he's super super young and was probably best suited staying in school for another year. And if the Bucks had their own D League franchise, he probably would have spent the beginning of the season there. Um. But yeah, I mean, it hasn't been great. I just at pick seventeen, he can't be a bust. Like James Young was seventeenth pick in twenty fourteen. Like is he a bust? Uh, we're getting close. <laughs> Well, he has like not, he's been like way worse than Vaughn. He barely he has like not even played. But yeah, well, Vaughn is shooting thirty one percent from the field, and the thing that gets me here is that Milwaukee desperately needs a three point shooter, and they still don't trust him enough to spend significant time on the court. Yeah, I mean, Jared he's Bayless a bad is defender, a, real yeah. bad, bad decision maker so, on offense. So, so that's what gets me, and that's that's where if I like if you force me to pick somebody who I thought is not panning out already early in their rookie season. It's going to be him just because he has a clear path to minutes and he hasn't yeah. been able to grab him. Sure, that's fair. Um, but I, yeah, he's just too late in the draft for me to be a bust. Um, best value pick, I think Booker, right? I mean, probably by default. I think, yeah, we're going to go Booker. Obviously, Turner coming in 11, but. And Towns? <laughs> I mean, anybody, really. I think there's been a lot of, like, there's a lot of great value picks. Yeah. Towns at one value pick? Well, I mean, joking, but yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, the value that he's he's brought is probably greater than you could expect from a number one pick so i think moody over time has a chance that we when we look back on this draft and we say he was drafted seventh wow like that that's pretty amazing that i think that he because yeah. i think he could be a starter in this league for the next 12 13 years and a solid starter to me so i, I want to say it was simmons that made this comparison on his pod he kind of reminds you of like tyreek evans like is that his ceiling i could totally see that you know like he has like four or five productive years in denver and then it's just like oh, we can't win with this guy and then he goes and is productive somewhere else but you know never an all-star type of guy yeah i think yeah. his ceiling maybe right now is higher than that i don't think that's fair but it, i mean tyreek evans had a much better rookie season than moody did much better yeah no yeah way better one of like in like one of the best rookie seasons he's he's yeah he, he was, was rookie I mean, of the year incredible. yeah he was rookie of the year so i yeah i think best value pick has got has got to go to um 
it's got to go to Booker, even though you don't agree with me that you're going to stick him all the way up over Porzingis like I do. I mean, you still have to think at uh, you know number 13 that he was a little bit undervalued, especially by a lot of teams that would love to have him on their team this right What do you now. think Tyreek Evans is averaging points, assists, rebounds for his career? Man, he's, he's not bad. He isn't th- bad. Points, I'll say 14 and a half. 16.7. Okay, rebounds, I'll say four and a half. 4.9. And assists, just a flat five, five point three. But he's been at six point six each of the last two years. Like he's quietly been pretty good. And in terms of fantasy too, I mean he's that's yeah I mean, over a steal a game, at least one point two steals per game every year. I target him every single year because while like national media likes to trash on him and say he didn't really pan out and all this stuff, in terms of putting up straight production. I like him a lot because he does it in every single category. Just can't stay healthy. His basketball reference nickname is Too Easy. Hmm. I don't, I'm not sure I, I would ever call him that. Um, but he's under contract one more year. Kind of wonder what what his market will be once he hits. Six it. man off the bench on a contending team, he would be dangerous. Dangerously no, uh, well, that's what he. Well, if he's healthy, like that's basically what he was for the Pelicans last year. He was awesome down the stretch before the playoffs and. Not so much this year. Last um, question to yeah. finish up on. Players who can still end up being a solid NBA contributor uh, but haven't had enough playing time in their rookie season to prove as such. Is there anybody on here that, you know, when we do our rookie redraft five years from now, we're going to put them in the top ten that we haven't even mentioned so far? Maybe like a Hazonia, I guess, is somebody. He's the big one that was drafted highly enough that would lead you to believe that could be his ceiling. I mean, that Trey Lyles is somebody we're not really talking about out of Utah. Yeah. Um, he has a tough spot because he's playing behind Derek Favors, playing behind Rudy Gobert, and he's been competing for minutes with Trevor Booker this year. Um, you know, I like Payne. Yeah, Payne. I think Payne could end up being like a Schroeder type of guy where it's like all of a sudden he gets his chance and you realize, like, whoa, this guy's pretty good. Sure. Um, Ubre, like, I like, but he's just, you can kind of totally see, like, the type of player he's going to be already. You know, it's really hard to, for me to, like, imagine a, a world where Kelly Ubre is, like, a dominant scorer. Um, Justin Anderson with Dallas is, yeah. has started a couple times recently. Um, we know he's very solid on defense. Um, not quite as good, maybe, as Winslow, but not terribly far behind that at all. Coming out of Virginia as a shooting guard, playing a little small forward as well. I think he's somebody, Bobby Portis is somebody we've been high on throughout the season. We're probably lower on Bobby Portis now than we've been all year, I would say. But Justin Anderson, Bobby Portis going 21 and 22 to the Mavs and Bulls, respectively. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is somebody that you gave an honorable mention to your top 10, but ultimately he didn't beat out uh, Colley Stein. No. Um, The one other guy I'll mention real quickly is Norman Powell, who's been playing pretty well for for Toronto. He's a guy that... That I know James Anderson and I had talked about a lot before the draft, somebody that I really, really liked coming out of, of UCLA. And I always said he reminded me a lot of Aaron Aflalo. And they wore the same number, and honestly, they look pretty similar and obviously went to the same school. So that, that had a lot to do with it, I think. But he's a really, really, really good athlete and is 6'4 and 220 pounds Fast. and he's... has experience coming out of UCLA. I mean, I just think he was kind of ready-made to step in and be, do what he's doing for Toronto lately. Um, and you know, I think it took him a while to, to get up to speed and for them to trust him, but for him going 46 in this draft, I thought was kind of ludicrous. And of course the bucks drafted him and and traded him. Um, I, you know, you look at like a guy, even Rashad Vaughn's like, yeah, Vaughn has more upside as a, you know, top 10 recruit coming into last year. So there's that kind of mystique, I think, but 
like especially in the back end of the first round like i would have taken norman powell over tyus jones if i was cleveland like tyus jones and i and to be fair of course they moved they ended up moving that pick to to minnesota but like Jarrell Martin at 25, Larry Nance even. I thought I thought Powell was kind of tailor-made to fit into the end of the first round as a guy that could play 15 minutes a game for you as a rookie because he's already so polished. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen a lot of nice things. Uh, really good on the attack, too. I've seen him lead a couple yes. fast breaks. He and killed the Bucks last week. He's, yeah. yeah, he's a very good player. I like him a lot. Um, one, one player I might talk about, Josh Richardson is getting minutes out in Miami. He's yep. playing, obviously, point guard. He was drafted somewhat more of his shooting guard, but with – Multiple injuries. Tyler Johnson has been out. Goran Dragic had to miss uh, some time as well. Some, you know, solid off the bench. If we're going to talk about these later additions, I mean, considering he was the 40th pick in the draft and he's giving you solid minutes in relief as a point guard, not even his natural position, then that's something that you can like. And maybe, you know, five years, if he finds the right position, a lot of minutes, we could look back at this and say, based on where he was drafted one of the bigger steals in this 2015 nba draft he seems very norris cole to me doesn't he sure like, yeah kind of plays similarly looks yeah. similarly yeah i i think that i think he's filled that role really well for them and yeah he's he's certainly up there for best value at least yeah any other lasting impressions of this rookie draft class i mean how much do you think that our our new updated top 10 is going to change over the next three years do you think it's going to be dramatic not much, not much? i think well, let me let me look back at mine now. You know, I mean, like Towns, I don't see moving out of number one, barring an injury. Porzingis, same thing. Russell, unless they for some reason decide to shake things up and you know have a chance to, you know, I don't know what would have to happen, but Chris Paul loses in the first round and declares that he wants to go to the lake. Unless somebody something drastic where they have to move on from Russell happens, I think he's pretty safe. Booker's interesting to me because does he play the three next year or does he come off the bench? What do you mean? Well, Bledsoe and Knight coming back, you know, oh, one of those guys, right, unless right, they move right. one of them to the bench. Man, like I've forgotten about Bledsoe His this success year. has been such a product of their terribleness, you know? Like, it's like, is it sustainable when they're a real franchise? I don't know. It's so funny that the the Suns just can't get away from having, you know, too many backcourt options. They, yeah, they literally blew that up so like they couldn't, you know, the Thomas, Dragic, and, and Knight experiment and now it, here they are again yeah i mean you ha- you're gonna have to part ways with pj it's Tucker. the curse of drafting well honestly it, it can be for some teams you yeah. know that better than anybody right yeah oklahoma city thunder nice to know you james harden yeah um, it sucks it, i mean you have to you have to make really hard choices and get rid of players that you know are good because you just don't have room i suppose i mean here's something i could foresee um you have i think the Suns want to keep booker like they want him to be oh, a lifelong yeah, yeah, yeah. Suns. i mean that's not yeah that's, they're not they're not attached to brandon knight or eric bledsoe i mean I, they don't have to be at they don't this have point. to be if they could somehow package a deal with a contending team next year or in the off season uh with bledsoe and tyson chandler chandler has a terrible contract get somebody in return get picks whatever that's, and then you're going to free up minutes for devin booker that i think is their best option right now yeah i, I mean it's just it's rough like that Chandler deals one thing. Knights, Knights extension, you know, is four years, including next year. I mean, it's it's a, they're they're not easy contracts to move. And I think Bledsoe is the best player out of all of them. And he's you know he's injured, and that's been an issue. So it'll be fun though. I mean, if that's your three guard rotation, like bringing Devin Booker off the bench next year doesn't seem that crazy at the at the start of this season. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that it's a little bit of a curse that he has played well in these minutes because all of a sudden the expectations are a little bit higher, you know, in his mind where coming, you know, starting these last 20, 30 games of the year, 
and then having to shift back to a bench roll next year maybe kind of complicates things, but it's a, it's a good problem to have. I'm concerned because he's starting to find his way guarding other shooting guards, and let's be honest, if we look up and down the shooting guards, I mean, we even said it in the, earlier in this pod, we said, uh, do you want to form your franchise around a shooting guard? No. Why? Because there's just not a lot of good shooting guards right now, and that's not how the NBA game is well, necessarily developing. So I don't want – the thing is that – I don't want him defending other small forwards. And so unless you had a situation where you can mix that up, I think that he, you know, you could stunt his development if he is trying to guard guys like Kawhi Leonard, yeah. like LeBron James, like Jimmy Butler or something like that. I just, I think that he could, you know, his progression could really be stunted if you try to play him out of position. He's 6'6", 205 pounds. I'm, I'm more worried. Guy. That just hurts your team defense more than anything. You know, I think he still plays the same offensive game and like, yeah, I mean, it maybe kills his confidence a little bit defensively, but it would just kill your team if he's guarding Kawhi and LeBron and stuff like that. But I mean, there have been a lot of successful teams with star shooting guards, right? I mean, two of sure. the most, like, you know, five successful players of all time have been shooting guards. You know, we've seen, you know, James Harden lead a team to the Western Conference Finals. Like, you, it can be done. Well, the your shooting guard has to be a playmaker, though, too. It can't just yeah. be a shooter. Yeah, if we yeah if we talk about James Harden, I mean he was basically running point shooting guards. Right, that's the other and thing. So yeah, it's, it's, he was Booker's basically not, a point Booker guard. Booker can't do that. Sure, and yeah, I mean I I think the other thing with that is it's easier to find a replacement level shooting guard than it is to find a replacement level any other position. Like, yeah, well I don't know point guard's so deep, but it's hard to find like that guy you know at point guard. Like I think shooting guard teams are a little more willing to just like yeah, let's go get Courtney Lee like. You, you don't you don't have like you need to have I think in this league right now you need to have a very good point guard or you have to have a guy like LeBron you know who does like or Harden you know like you said who basically plays point guard when you, when you need to but you know you need to have a really good point guard and you need to have either a really good wing guy or a really good power forward yeah sure teams are moving away from the dominant center you just you just need a defensive center now and mm-hmm. we see the teams you know like move away from the dominant Kobe Bryant Michael Jordan Tracy McGrady the dominant shooting guards in favor of well, let's just get a shooter at that spot. Let's have J.J. Redick. Like, J.J. Redick can be as effective as the player that he is if he's playing alongside Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think there's that a little bit, too. And it is weird, you know, if we're talking fantasy, you go on FanDuel, and it's like if the Rockets aren't playing, the top price shooting guard on the night might be, like, $7,600. Yeah, most definitely. Um, same thing for DraftKings, too. I mean, you look at some of the best teams in the league, and the Thunder are starting Andre Roberson. They're just fine. Cleveland Cavaliers starting J.R. Smith, somebody right. typically who's going to be a six man off the bench. I mean, we can even talk. We can even throw the Spurs. It's just in there not a key Dan- position. For yeah, whatever Danny reason. Green by no means is a key player on the Spurs. Yeah, the Warriors are they're they're not even you can't even use them. I feel like just they're not an ac- accurate sample of what basketball teams can aspire to be. <laughs> sure, um, but yeah, just, it's just kind of turned into a throwaway position for me, and it's it's odd. I mean, it, I'm sure it'll reverse at some point, maybe as the league shifts more towards shooting, but. Mm-hmm. It just seems like teams are content to have a 35%, you know, Trevor Ariza. Let's do it. Yeah, no, you're completely completely right with that. Anything else you want to touch on? 11 games tonight. No games Monday, obviously. We've got Bucks-Cavs. Well, I actually will be watching that. A good friend of mine is a Cavs fan. We've caught all those games so far this year. The Bucks always do seem to get up for LeBron. Even when he was in Miami, they they played him well. Not in that playoff series, but, um, you know, they – they, I think they usually handed Miami one loss a year, and they've already beaten Cleveland once this year. Um, the thing that gets me, man, is that, yeah, you're you're completely right. They do play up for kind of their Eastern Conference rivals. Do that every single game, I know, in and out. Trust like, me, how I, hard it's, is that? it's weird. I don't know. I Part of it also is that Cleveland never – I don't think Cleveland slash LeBron takes the Bucks seriously ever. Mm-hmm. 
Like these are the games where he'll just kind of sit back and like rack up seven assists in the first half and take like four shots, you know, and then all of a sudden they're only up four and then things yep. can get a little dicey. I mean, I expect Cleveland to win. Even if Kyrie doesn't play, he's still game time call. Middleton's a game time call too. Kevin Love, for those reasons you just mentioned, LeBron like taking it easy, deferring to other players. Yep. These are the games when it's it's time for Kevin Love to just step yes. up. Put he's played on. well lately. Yeah, he has. So it, I don't know. It it makes you wonder like when Love or when Kyrie's out, things things go a little bit more smoothly. No, we don't I mean, I'm not, I don't want to have this, this debate at all. I love Kyrie. And I, yeah, I know you no do. one's saying that they're a better team without Kyrie, but things move a little smooth, more smoothly offensively. Watching that game on Sunday against Charlotte, that first half was a complete clinic on ball movement and spot-up shooting, and it was, it was fun to watch. Uh, but other, otherwise, we got Chicago-Memphis, which is weirdly a massive, massive game for both of these teams. Um, San Antonio-Utah, much bigger, of course, for Utah than it is San Antonio. And and then Miami and Detroit. Miami locked into a playoff spot already. Detroit right now tied with Indy for the seven and eight spot. Chicago two games back. I was talking with Benny Ricciardi on the podcast yesterday. Memphis is only three games up on Houston. Memphis is at the five right now. Like think they're on a six game losing streak. They have to play Golden State twice the rest of the way. Like they very well might back out of this. I tried to tell you this a few weeks back. I I didn't think they lose six straight. At that point, they were still pulling like crazy victories out of nowhere. Man, I t- the the roster that they're throwing out there is so ridiculous that it would not surprise me if they lose nine out of ten games. Or I mean, what are they? They've lost six straight, right? Yes. And they might close the they might close the season on an eleven game losing streak and make the playoffs. <laughs> like that's very conceivable. That that's almost likely, I would say. That's yeah. borderline likely. Well, I told you, I, I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that the Grizzlies do fall out and then we get the Jazz and the well, Rockets in the playoffs because nobody wants to watch this Grizzlies team. Well, sure, but if you're the Clippers, here's what here's where this gets very interesting to me. Okay, so Portland tonight is at Sacramento. Sacramento is expected to have their whole team. That to me, that's like a sixty forty Portland wins. Maybe I don't know. Like they could very well lose that Close game. game for sure. Either way, Portland's a half game back right now of Memphis. Memphis is, has Chicago tonight. I think they lose that game. They're at Dallas on Friday. Maybe a loss. I don't know. Golden State on Saturday. That's a loss. Then you're at the Clippers. If you're the Clippers, and let's say Memphis. Throw that game. Right. Because you want to play exactly, Memphis. Exactly. You want to play Memphis. If you're the Clippers, you're, you're, at, uh, you're at home on Tuesday. I don't know if, that, if teams really factor that in you know, when they're resting players. But if Memphis is sitting at the five or six and they're like a, within a half game or a game, I lose that game at all costs if I'm the Clippers right? I mean, of course you, I mean, you like your chances against Memphis, Portland, Dallas, or Utah, but right now Memphis is no better to me than like New Orleans or Phoenix. Like they're literally that type of team, but they played so well before that, that obviously the record's kind of offset. Like if I'm the Clippers, I'm losing that to make sure I play Memphis. Yeah. And we just got some reports. I believe it was, was it yesterday? Uh, Mike Conley is not expected to be back for the playoffs. He's not walking through that door. Do they even want to go? I mean, you get the revenue, I guess, but like they're getting swept no matter who they play. Right, yeah, most definitely, and so you're getting the, two home games out of it. That's it. Yeah, I mean the Blazers right now are locked up to play against the Thunder. So I mean Mavericks, any one of those teams, Jazz, they would all love to swoop in there, take that five seed, play the Clippers instead of facing the Thunder. I hate to admit that you might be right, but like Memphis, man, I don't know. Dude, like, there is there is not a win on that schedule. Yeah, unless I, the Clippers forfeit that, basically. 
It's it's too bunched up. I mean, there's Golden there State a, twice in the last three games. Like, who made that schedule? <laughs> who thought this was like going to be like, all right, this is going to be big? And well, I guess here we are. It's big in the way that they probably never thought it would be. But they've got the five seed. For they should have made the they should have made the Warriors end with like Thunder, Thunder, Spurs, Thunder, or something. <laughs> Just like really, like all right. Hey, they did the best version of that they could. They gave the Spurs two games within the last yeah. what six. I wish they would have made it like two weeks ago though you know made him play three times in like two weeks before it gets like rest time you know they oh. knew they knew the spurs would be resting at this point yeah you never know but i also i'm not a big conspirator when it comes to like schedule making really oh yeah i well, hope there are conspiracies hey they're one of the, they're one of the few leagues in the world that like knowingly puts their best matchup on christmas day and they're out front saying, well the most lucrative matchup right like why are the lakers playing right but i'm saying there's no other leagues really around that specifically schedule games like that and purposefully put you know like marquee games on you know your biggest day or something like that and so well, all right well go ahead i'll let you finish no i've got i mean like opening day we got a world series rematch well i know teams are good about doing it opening day but when you look further down the road at it like a christmas day you're already a couple months into the season and nba schedule makers yeah. are, are knowingly saying hey but like let's put let's make some good games on this day what other holidays are teams playing on that's fair that's fair i i really don't have much fight in this argument so i'll concede i'll concede yeah this I, and i've also never made an nba schedule Full disclosure. Another one of many things that I've revealed that I've never done on this podcast. Many important basketball-related things. Um, that'll pretty much wrap it up for us. I, I need to hop on some some video and tell people who to put in their daily lineups. You, I was going to talk about Kevin Love. I think you agree with me on that one. Yeah, Kevin Love is going to be in all my DraftKings lineups tonight. I'm going Curry tonight against Minnesota. Really? I'm going to go down to. I'm going to go with Cousins facing Portland. They're only letting him play one in every three games, yeah, so he's he, going to be unleashed yeah, I, I could totally see that happening, yeah. I did like some of – there were a lot of cheap center options on FanDuel. Like Al Horford, I think, was like 65. Yeah. And, like, you know, you're not going to get Cousins numbers out of him, but that allows me to get Curry. I'm, I'm going Giannis. Yeah, Drummond, With, I if, think, is at a flat a flat rate of around 8000 bucks tonight. Unbelievable. Like, he was the story outside of Steph. I think he was, like, the number two story mm-hmm. in the league for the first month. And, like, have you heard anything about Drummond, like, since mid... Well, you know why. I don't know, mid-December? Hack- they're hacking him, and Van Gundy takes him off the court immediately because it allows the opposing team to rest on defense. Right. Down the stretch, it just can't work. You know what you see often, often, time and time again? They foul Drummond, he misses two free throw shots, Van Gundy takes him out, he goes and sits on the sideline, puts a tower over his head, and just look, stares at the right. floor. That's, yeah, what, that's it, what the situation is. He's just not quite at the passer that they need him to be yet. You know, I think for him to... If they want him to be the Dwight Howard role, like not that Howard was ever a great passer, but he, Howard's a better passer than people give him credit for, and he at least had a little better vision. I think you can't like throw the ball into Drummond and allow him to like pivot and find shooters. Like his assist numbers are, he goes like three, four games in a row without an assist. One of the reasons why the Magic made the finals that year that they had a good run with Turkoglu and, and JJ Redick was because Howard draws so many people in, and then he had Redick, Turkoglu just you know shooting threes from beyond the arc. That was a major reason right. because Howard Lewis, was, yeah, you had the perfect cast around him. I think there's, this is kind of like the light version of that, and <laughs> the you diet also version of it. They also relied maybe too much on Jackson. Like he leads the NBA in drive percentage, which is basically like his, he's just going at his guys. His numbers have all the tapered time. off. Have you seen since they got Tobias Harris? He Tobias is, Harris and Marcus Morris's numbers have risen, whereas Reggie Jackson's numbers and Andre like, Drummond's have taken a step back. Looking at FanDuel, like Reggie Jackson beginning of the year was up into like what, like over eight thousand, I would guess, right? I mean, this is he was averaging like it seemed like twenty and ten. I don't know if he actually was, but like below he's below Shelvin Mack. He's below Ish Smith. He's below Derrick Rose. Like it's crazy. He's right. completely fallen off. Yeah. 
But I mean, here they are, right in the thick of the playoffs, I guess. I I still feel disappointed for Detroit. Really? They're five games over. Like, the Tobias trade was like, all right, we're in the playoffs. And, like, they're going to make the playoffs, but they're going to play Cleveland. You think they're going to make the playoffs? They're only two games up, behind. I think they're in. I mean, oh, sorry. The, pa- the Pacers, or excuse me, the Bulls are two I, games behind the Pistons right now. I'm out. I'm out on the Bulls. They're going to give one heck of a game tonight when they play. Jimmy Butler, when they played Detroit, he put up so much. I mean, he had a triple-double by sheer will and determination. Yeah, I mean, Butler Butler is pretty pretty ridiculous these days. And I mean, yeah, this Grizzlies-Bulls might be kind of like a low-key. I need to turn, tune into this when I'm not, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to be watching Bucks calves But that might be a league pass one to keep in, like, the little mini window. Sure. All right, let's wrap it up. That'll do it for us. As always, we're sponsored by DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports. And as always, you can use that promo code ROTOHOOPS. When you deposit on DraftKings, that'll get you your free contest entry today. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.